everybody, and welcome back to Saw Something Scary. I am Jeff Wright, one of your regular hosts, but you're probably used to hearing Derek Zoo open the episode. Uh, that's not happening this week because Derek is mourning the loss of a family member, and he's also got to travel back to Missouri to bow the knee to Dolly Parton, and so he's he's out of pocket for this episode. But do not fear, we are served well by a replacement. That is Jody Webster. If you've listened to the podcast very long, or you're part of the Facebook group, we saw something scary. You know Jody, and you know. He is a reliable guide to all things that go bump on your video screen, whatever that screen may be. So, Jody, uh, we were talking off air. I guess you've had some family sickness. Otherwise, how are you guys doing? Good. Doing pretty good. Uh, like like you just said, we have gone through the ringer, uh, but uh, we're, we're coming out on the other side now. So I think for at least a day or two, we don't have anyone sick in our house. So I'll take that. So, Jody, your oldest kid, if you don't mind me asking, is how old? He's 12. And your youngest is? Two. Okay, so I'm I'm eight to three. I think you and I should write a horror movie uh, called Stomach Bug. And instead of it being a bloody gore fest, it could be a different kind of body fluid that <laughs> provides the fear. And much more horrifying. Absolutely. I, I will. I will take a bloody gore fest over this. Yeah, and I would fight Leatherface over some of the stomach bugs <laughs> yeah. that have rolled through Casa de la Right. Yes. All right. Well, thanks again for filling in, Jody. We uh, we appreciate you pinch hitting here, and, and uh, trust that that it's going to be uh, just wonderful to hear from you. Now, before we do that, though, um, how go things with your Facebook group, Video Nightmares? Uh, we're taking a little bit of a slowdown right now <laughs> between uh, work and then all these rounds of sickness. I just have not been able to keep up with it. And uh, so at the moment, it, not a lot happening. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's totally understandable. Um, let me let me say this. I owe you an apology because I've often said talking about our Facebook group, uh, you know, just kind of riffing on the state of Facebook, that it's the one good reason to be on Facebook anymore. And it just clicked in my head that, man, no, video nightmares is the other good reason to be on Facebook. So, <laughs> mea culpa, my friend. I, I did not mean to to cast aspersions or overshadow what you're doing there. I, I think what you provide there is one of the, the the best guides to like some interesting horror month by month. So, we'll be anxious for you to get back to it. All right, man. I appreciate it. And remind me... Um, we so we're reviewing it follows for this episode. Um, that I know that was on the list back in 2017. Have y'all done it follows again since then? No, it hasn't come back up. It, it was uh, on the original um, Scarathon yeah. in 2017. I think it was even the first movie of oh, the, yeah. the list that year. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I'm always happy to point people towards it follows. Okay, okay. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm glad to hear that. I I don't know what Derek. I don't know how it follows scared Derek as a child to to create all this. <laughs> animosity towards it, but it's good to talk to somebody who, who knows that's a great movie. We love you, Derek. We miss you. Well, Jody, let's get into our first section, which is Jeff hates trailers. And man, I have a great reason to hate trailers this week. Can we uh, can we save that one for the last, though? Yeah, sure. So I wanted to bring up, and I threw this to you via email, Lords of Chaos. Um, yeah. I, so my my relationship to this movie is one of like constantly checking to see when it would be released because I'd heard about it several years ago, right about the time I had gotten off of a uh, Wikipedia deep dive about the early Norwegian like nativist black metal scene, and they were you know they were they were burning these uh, historic stave churches and and murdering each other, and so I was super interested, and that thing disappeared, but I, I kept looking for it, and you know finally we're close to release. Do you have any any relationship to this movie at all? Yeah, I think I pretty much had the same experience that you did. Oh, really? Uh, where 
Yeah, um, I, there's something about being a horror movie fan where if you're at the level of obsession that I know you and I tend to sit at with this, you hear about movies long before they're ever actually made. Yeah. And so uh, for years and years and years, sometimes I wait on a movie and I wait on a movie. And then sometimes I finally get that trailer and I finally get the movie to watch. This is one of those that I have been hearing about for a really long time because just like you, I spent some time on Wikipedia and got really fascinated by all the weirdness that happened in Norway, of all places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did, you, did you ever end up on, I think his name is Varg Vikernes' YouTube channel? I don't think I ended up there. So that guy's out of the pen, and uh, he, so spoiler alert for those of you who aren't familiar and haven't done the Wikipedia deep dive, <laughs> he's heavily involved in this. He ends, uh, he ends up going to the pen, but he's out now, and he's like a far-right nationalist <laughs> with a with a popular YouTube channel. So if you if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, man, <laughs> you find that Varg Vikernes' YouTube channel. Um, I, from what from what I know about those guys, I'm not sure how many one-on-one encounters I want to have with them. I, I like reading about them more than I like actually hearing from them, I think. That that sounds like the right approach. So any, you know, when you watch the trailer, anything stand out to you? Oh, man, I just, I, I really think it looks like it could be good. Um, the acting all looks good. Uh, Rory Polkin, is he the main, mm-hmm. main yeah. guy there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think when I've seen him in things in the past, uh, he's done a good job. He, he seems to be a good actor. And uh, I, I think he can pull this off from the little brief glimpses you get in the trailer. That uh, kind of mix of uh, actual menacing, but also just a kid who's doing some stupid stuff trying to be cool i think that seems to be the balance they're trying to strike there is that these these kids are kids and they are into some dark stuff but at the same time a lot of it's just trying to put up that front and you know impress people well i i'm with you i think that's that's what the trailer conveys and anyway my reading on this i don't want to speak for you but my reading on this is like that's pretty much what happened in the historical events yeah that's what it seemed to be yeah okay it is interesting to me looking through the cast so yeah rory culkin it's seems like the first four or five leads in this movie are all um, super famous adjacent. So you have Rory Culkin, uh, Emery Cohen, Jack Kilmer, and Walter Skarsgård, right? So like those yeah. are like Hollywood royalty. Famous last, last names, names yes. but not famous first names. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I've got high hopes for this one. It, yeah. We're recording this on Thursday night on the 7th. This thing is supposed to release uh, as broadly as it's going to anyway on the 8th. But I checked, Jody, and it doesn't look like Cookville is going to get that surprise, surprise. Yeah, I'm not really shocked about that. <laughs> uh, a little disappointed, but I, I did not expect that one to come through our neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. If if only it was some kind of uh, you know low rent uh, faith based movie, we would have definitely got it. But if, oh yeah, it stayed there for weeks. Yeah, you know, I guess they don't count Norwegian nativistic religion as faith based films. I don't know why they don't, but you know, on a technicality, you know, you could probably <laughs> squeeze it in. <laughs> All right. Well, did you watch moving on from Lords of Chaos? Uh, did you watch the scary stories to tell in the dark shorts in the Super Bowl, or did you go find them apart from the Super Bowl? I found them after the fact. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big sports fan on the best of days and then uh, this particular Super Bowl didn't have a whole lot going for it that had me wanting to watch. Uh, and from what I hear, I, I didn't miss a, a whole lot that night. But uh, I definitely, once I heard about uh, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark and uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, I went out hunting for some trailers. Sure. So just to establish bona fides on this, you, you were one of these kids who was you know, re- you know, standing at the ready during the troll book fair in in school oh, to get yeah. the next edition. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I had them back then in the day, and I remember our school library had them for some unknown reason, and I would check them out all the time there too. 
And uh, just recently, like in the last two or three months, I rebought copies of all three of the original books. Oh, that's uh, cool. With the well, I think they're reprints, but they have the original illustrations. When I say the original, they're they're just like they were when I had them. Awesome. And uh, I bought them so my own kids could be scarred a little bit. <laughs> it's one of those questionable decisions I have, you know, as an adult going, ah, but you know what? I survived. So I right. got them again. So when are you just as, you know, a parenting corner moment here? Uh, when do you release your children to, to read scary stories to tell in the dark? I've, I've actually read a few of them with them. Yeah. Um, we haven't broached stories like Harold yet. Yeah. That one's, that was pretty rough. But that was pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. They, they enjoyed some of the other ones. The, the Wendigo, I remember we looked at, uh, and that one involves someone turning into ash, you know, uh, we, we haven't gone to the spider in the face yet. Like some of the, the more gruesome ones we've stayed away from so far, but if one of them asked me to pick up the book, I'd probably go ahead and say, yeah. 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 Okay. So you're, you're letting them wade in, not throwing them in the deep end. Yeah. No, I, I have been involved in a very long project of trying to get my kids to like at least some of the movies that I like. Yeah. This, this is my, my lifelong goal so far. And uh, it's it's been a very slow progression of introducing things that just have a little hint of that in there, you know? Um, my daughter just requested to watch Gremlins and Gremlins 2 again this past weekend. Oh, okay. And I was 100% down for that. So this is one of those times that uh, they've actually requested the slightly spooky movie. Okay. And uh, so I, I feel like I'm having some success. I'm getting good, there. good. Raise them up right, brother. So we, uh, listener, if you're not familiar with Tennessee, Tennessee basically has going left or right on your map. We have Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, and then sort of southern from uh, from Knoxville, Chattanooga, up in the top right corner, Johnson City, Tri-State areas. Well, there's this in, in Nashville, Knoxville, and in Chattanooga, there's this massive used bookstore called McKay's. And yeah. everybody loves to go to McKay's uh, if you're in one of those cities. So we just had one of those trips uh, this week and we came back with uh, a big board book. I say a board book. It's a huge format book, you know, those thick board front and back covers. Yeah. But it's filled with like children at children's adaptations of scary, scary uh, stories. And so my oldest picked it up and like it's written, you know, there's Poe in there, but like Ambrose Bierce and like some guys yeah. with some real bona fides. And, and like you, I'm sort of internally squealing with glee as, yeah. he, as he grabs for that. Yeah. The, uh, the other night, my my kids were at the table and they said, we go back and watch some more TV after dinner. And I went, no, guys, we have stuff to do. We've, but we're watching Goosebumps. Okay, okay. Well, maybe you can go back in there for a few more minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quickly changed my tune. <laughs> well, so I, I took us on a rabbit trail there. We're talking about the trailer. Any... Um, any thoughts about the trailer? I haven't watched these because I know I'm going to watch the movie. I guess really my first concern, does it do a good job of catching the visual effect or is that even possible? I think so. Okay, so you're dealing with Guillermo del Toro. And so, of course, his biggest thing that he's known for is his monsters. And I feel like about as good as you're going to get translating these weird black and white pictures into creatures and monsters and things like that that actually are 3D and walking around. I feel like it does a good job with that. Oh, I'm thrilled um, to hear that. I thought that may be an impossible venture. Now, there are some specific things that uh, you can look at the illustration in the book and then go back to that trailer, and it is the same creature, just a fleshier, 
slimier version of these things. Oh, that is such good news. That is such good news. I'm thrilled to hear that. Anything out of the... They, they released them basically as like short clips, right, of different... Yeah. Any of them that said, hey, that looked like the best of the of the lot to you? Well, I know the one that creeped me out the worst was the spider in the face one, but yeah. uh, the spider in the face story has always been one of those. That, that illustration haunted my dreams as a kid. So, yeah, uh, that one... Uh, they, they played with some of the funnier ones, like the Who's Got My Toe? I think that one was in there. Um, it seems like they, they're taking kind of the, the right approach with it, that it's spooky, but also kind of playful a little bit, because these are, of course, you know, kids' books. Yeah. Just the kind of the scariest of kids' books back in the day. Sure. And so, I don't, I don't know, did you ever watch the Goosebumps movies? You know, I did, not. I am, I am sort of my project with your kids, I'm working through that with television shows, so yeah. I started them on... Erie, Indiana, if you remember that one. I do. And that one took very well. And so I'm slowly pulling them into Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yep. And some of that stuff has left us with some sleepless nights. <laughs> and so Goosebumps are on the list. I just haven't gotten right. there yet. Well, the, the Goosebumps movies are great, like playful, fun horror for kids. Like unless you have someone really, really sensitive, there's nothing scary in them. Okay. But they play with all of the, the tropes. And so you've got werewolves, you've got abominable snowmen, uh, all of it, everything that appeared in those Goosebumps books kind of is all dumped into this movie together. And I, I think they really do it in a clever way, but it's all there and it's really playful. And the, the reason I bring that up is I feel like Del Toro is going for a little bit of playfulness with this, too, because it's all these separate stories. And so you can't just make it this, you know, super grim and dark because I, I read it, you know, with the flashlight at night as a kid. That's not grim, dark stories, even though the stories themselves could be a little bit scary. Mm hmm. I think there's just a little bit of playfulness there, and I, I, I really, I'm really hopeful for it because of that. Okay. Well, I mean, like you said, that that seems like the tone they should strike. And so, uh, you know, my hype meter was already sitting at around eight. You're, you know, you're you're causing it to ping like ten. I, I, I hope I hope I'm not pushing it too far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that this thing could live up to the enjoyment I had looking back on it through nostalgic lenses. Right. But based on what you're saying and and who they've handed this to, I've got really high hopes that this will be the adaptation that does not let me down. Now, did you uh, did you see that link that I sent you? Uh, there's a tribute book right now, and I say tribute book with air quotes around it on Kickstarter right now. Um, right. It's called Scary Stories Tribute, and they have clearly tried to replicate everything about the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, except calling it Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Did you was that on your radar before I emailed you? No, I hadn't heard about it before then, but I did check it out after uh, I got your email. So how long does that thing have before it's crushed by some kind of copyright lawsuit? Man, I don't know. I uh, I don't know if you look too deeply into it. They've got sample a sample uh, thing there with five stories in there. And uh, I looked at it, and it's got the illustrations and everything. Illustrations look really great. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, I they're obviously that. ape in that style. Uh, did you read the stories in there? No, I didn't. They're not great. <laughs> at least oh. I didn't think so. They, they, they tend to be kind of like, ooh, there's this spooky scenario. And then it goes nowhere, and the story ends. Then it moves on to the next story. You know, the, the, the thing about the Scary Sword of Tone Dark book, they weren't afraid to put some stuff in there that probably shouldn't put in a kid's book, you know? Right. Um, no, one, no one was flayed alive in any of these stories. Uh, it doesn't have to go that far, but kind of something has to happen other than just spooky things happening around this kid. So too many easy outs? I, I don't even think there was outs. The stories just kind of ended. Oh, that's unfortunate. Okay. Well, 
maybe maybe the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark people won't even care to to to, to borrow a term from the hip hop world to beef down. They'll just let that yes. thing go out and try to survive on its own. But listener, if you want to check it out, you can go there directly through the link um, scarystoriestribute.com If you want to yep. go look at some uh, you know knockoff Rolex versions of scary stories to tell in the dark. The art is nice though. Yeah. Uh, I'll give them that. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Visually, you know the cover. The cover looks like it's in the family tree, uh, but it just as sounds like the content uh, of the stories isn't. Well, so uh, really, the thing that's here to sitting like a flashing beacon at me is this new Pet Cemetery trailer. Which Jody, off the top of my head, I don't remember when that thing came out. Do you know when the second Pet Cemetery trailer dropped? I think it dropped today. Oh, okay. So as I think it's brand new. As we're recording, brand new trailer for Pet Cemetery. Immediately, thanks to you, and then after you did it, I saw some other people uh, confirming. Apparently, it's just got a, a huge spoiler in it, uh, a plot twist that that is ruined by the trailer. Is that correct? Yeah, from what I understand, um, there is some big change from both the book and the movie that is happening in this new movie. And in the new trailer, you see that plot twist. Um, I Derek had posted that in the Facebook group earlier today, and I, I told him 30 seconds before that I had been on Twitter, and I saw, I don't remember the guy's name, he's the uh, editor-in-chief at Bloody Disgusting, he had, John Spires, he had tw- yeah, that's it. He had tweeted out, uh, if you haven't seen this trailer yet, it d- spoils something in a major way. So if you haven't seen it and you want to go in fresh, do not watch this trailer. And so I've done my best to avoid it from that point on. All right. So I've got two questions to lay in front of you. And you tell me which one you find more interesting to talk about. So the first question is, what God are the people who cut these things together following when they think about what they put in or out of a trailer? So like the... The idea here I'm getting at is why would they do something like this? So that's question number one. Why make the choice to spoil a plot twist? Or number two, and I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat, since everybody has read the book, saw the movie, or both, do you think they're trying to set us up to believe there's a twist coming that won't actually end up in the film uh, so that they can sort of rope-a-dope people into coming to see the third incarnation (laughs) of the story? Yeah. Um... I don't know that I want to give them that much credit. Yeah. Uh, because from what I understand, trailers are usually cut by a separate entity from the people who make the movie, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of times the people who make the trailers are just genuinely clueless about why you wouldn't want to put that out there before the movie comes out. Because they hire these outside firms. Because uh, they're... When when a director actually has control over what's in the trailer, I, I think that's one of those things that's like a big deal for only those big name directors. Really? Okay. Yeah. And so uh, other than that, they hire these outside firms to put the trailers together. And I guess they're just trying to get butts and seats. And so whatever they think, oh, well, this looks shocking. This is an exciting moment. And a lot of times the exciting moments, of course, are the big moments that you wish you had seen outside of a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that kind of like corporate ineptitude sounds depressingly yeah. realistic. So we've already figured out how to make our first great horror movie with the uh, the body horror stomach bug. Right, right. I, I think, Jody, we could also offer our services to the horror industry and say, let us cut your trailers then. Uh, we, right. we, we have some sense about what the audience needs to know and doesn't need to know. And uh, we, we can revolutionize that industry, my friend. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not an anti-trailer person. I, I actually like trailers a lot. You can do Jody Loves trailers instead of Jeff Hates trailers sometimes. But... 
those that you go in and they obviously take the best moments of the movie and put them in the trailer, it just kills me. So I would definitely be down for that. I think that I hate them because I'm a frustrated idealist. I mean, that used to be, you know, in my peer group, that was one of the things. Like, if we're going to see a movie, Jeff insists we get there in time for the trailers. But I just had so many ruined for or movies ruined for me that I eventually became a jaded and hardened troll living under the movie trailer bridge. Well, I think so. As a horror movie guy, it's got to be a little extra hard because a lot of times, like I said, they want to get butts in seats. And so they take the most exciting moments, those moments that you, you know, if you had just seen them fresh in the film for the first time, they would really get you. Um, though, I, I guess in, a, in another genre, you know, you put a joke out there that's funny. It's still going to be funny. But if it's something really shocking, it's not going to be as shocking the second time you see it. Sure. I'm thinking right now uh, about Halloween, um, the the new Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. That scene where um, she the, the the kid's there with the babysitter and the babysitter backs up to the door. Uh, the door won't shut in the closet and uh-huh. she opens it up and Michael Myers is there. I wish I had not seen that before I saw the movie because it was such a good moment. 100%. But, I knew it was coming, and so it took something away from it. Well, and you know, I don't want to spoil this for anybody who's listening, but I'm assuming most people have been subjected to this at some point. Uh, tomorrow, you and I are talking about trying to go see The Prodigy, yeah. And, and I've praised that trailer for showing me a jump scare that I have never seen before and was super effective. But man, yeah. I wish I'd have met that thing in the in the course of the movie. Yeah, uh, and it just you feel like something's been taken from you. You didn't know you had it, right? So right. And this is definitely the first worldest of first world problems. But man, come on, guys! Just leave the leave the cookies for the people who show up and pay the pay the ticket. All right, man. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up this section of Jeff hates trailers. Unless you got anything else to contribute before we do? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, then that means we'll move into. For this week, and I, I wrote you and said that I thought it was kind of a slow week for news. But uh, what we do have is pretty provocative. Um, we'll handle these two items, I guess, in the order I emailed them to you, uh, and both come from Bloody Disgusting. You mis- mentioned John Squires the other day. Yeah. I um, I really appreciate the work those guys are doing because I think if you're a horror fan, you have to be in tune with what's going on at Bloody Disgusting. Yeah, and they seem to you know there's there's several of these sites that are you know catering to the same kind of audience, but it, it does seem like Bloody Disgusting understands me better or I, I resonate with them because like the stuff they feature is the stuff I most want to read on yep. any horror news site. Um, the big news you already referenced Halloween from 2018, so that thing made all the money and you can imagine they're going to want to make a sequel out of it. So we have a writer for the sequel. Uh, Let me quote from the Bloody Disgusting article. After the smash hit box office success of David Gordon Green's Halloween last year, it was only natural that a sequel would soon be ordered, even if the 2018 film promised the final confrontation between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. And as we've told you, a sequel is indeed being developed. Collider reports tonight that a writer has been found. According to that site, Scott Teams is in talks to pin the sequel's script which will be, this is a subquote, which will be based on a well-treated, excuse me, a well-liked treatment Teams has already written for the company. And uh, it turns out that Teams has also written Bloomhouse's upcoming adaptation of Stephen King tale, Firestarter, and The Breathing Method, which are currently in the works. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Andy Matichak will all be, uh, this is asterisk, likely returning for the sequel. And we don't know at this point if David Gordon Green is going to be involved. There's a possibility this thing gets 
rushed out in time for release this coming October, but it's more likely it'll show up in October 2020. So the the first question I got for you, Jody, is the one that Derek raised. Um, it, does it does it give you the willies that it's a different writer? Um, I think I'm okay with that. I, I enjoyed uh, Halloween 2018 a lot, uh, a lot, a lot. Uh, so uh, saying that the the writers not being there is no not a big deal is isn't uh, is taking it way too far. But I've I've lived through lots of iterations of slasher movies, and um, I'm pretty forgiving with them. If, as long as you don't go the Rob Zombie route and try to you know tear it all to pieces and burn it down or anything, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you're sticking with the uh, kind of the heart of what makes these movies fun and enjoyable and scary, I'm I'm gonna be there. Yeah, they they already have my money, assuming I have a pulse and you know agency enough to to direct myself to the to the theater. Um, I guess I have a bit of a battered Halloween fan syndrome in sure. that. I've watched all of them, and generally speaking, I enjoy them except for the aforementioned Rob Zombie uh, adaptations. It it did seem like you you did eventually with that franchise have a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. So you know Michael is either just a mentally ill person or he's the product of specific breeding uh, of of the cult of Thorn and cult of Thorn. He you know he's got supernatural powers or he doesn't. I guess I'm cool with the idea of multiple writers working as long as somebody like Bloom kind of holding his hand on the throttle and working right. It, to, to take this to a different kind of movie, Kevin Feige at Marvel Studios yeah. has kind of been the gatekeeper for continuity. And, and I know the Marvel movies aren't perfect uh, with continuity, but they're they're pretty robust. And if there's somebody working in that role to say, here are the broad strokes, here's the borders you got to stay within, here are the things you got to stay consistent with, I, I'm happy to hear um, new writers coming in. Because we're, we're not talking about like, as much as I love Halloween, these aren't the greatest works of the Western canon, right? So Right. I, like I said, I tend to be pretty forgiving with you know halloween nightmare on elm street friday the 13th movies of that genre um they, they they know how to make it entertaining most of the time most of the time sure unless they take it too far and try to deconstruct it or something like that you know that's i guess that's what rob zombie was trying to do but you know i i love the original halloween it's by far my favorite um the second one's good too um but the those Crazy ones where the cults in there and all that. I'm I'm still down with those too. I'll still watch them and enjoy them. Buster Rhymes, you know. I'm I'm not gonna say no to any of these things. I really so do I think... hope it's one of the better ones. Yeah, it, yeah. It definitely degrees of quality here, but I'm still not gonna say no to any of these movies. Well, as you were saying that, I was queuing up even the Buster Rhymes one, and so I think that is the litmus test. Like if you're right. cool with the uh, that was like an early attempt at uh, adapting uh, reality TV shows, in, right? folding them into the horror universe. If you're cool with that, then yeah, I think you've got a pretty, uh, you're willing to give them quite a bit of ground to deliver on the movie, right? Yeah, I'm not saying that that one's a good movie by any means, <laughs> but I don't think they have to be, you know? Yeah. I like it when they are, but I'm okay when they're not. You're asking different questions of the movie or you have different desires yeah. from the movie, right? Yeah. Well, and when I hear things about it, you know, when I hear the casting and I see Buster Rhymes is going to be in it, I go in with a certain set of expectations. Well I don't said. expect I don't expect the first movie to happen when you've got, you know, <laughs> Buster Rhymes. I keep going back to him, but he's by far the only thing I remember about that version. He's a pretty strong tale. Yeah. You know? um, well, and, and I didn't prep you for this, so feel free to like, dude, that's too out sure. there. But did you see Mandy with Nick Cage? 
I haven't actually seen it yet. It's very much on my list, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. Well, so I'm I'm going to ask you to, to reach out to me in some fashion when and if you see that movie, because it was on so many best of lists that I thought, I, this doesn't look like it would appeal to me, but I need to watch it because so many people say it's good. I watched it and I found that, yes, indeed, Mandy is a bridge too far for me. So yeah. I, I'll be curious if you're more accommodating. I, just, I feel like I have to be in the right mood for this movie. <laughs> Because it seems so out there that if I'm just going to want to relax and you know enjoy a movie in the evening, it's not going to be the right one for that. Like I just have to be ready to take on a movie, you know. Yes, that I mean you have rightly predicted that experience. So I was talking to a, a friend about this a couple of days ago. I've never done LSD, um, <laughs> but I really do imagine that that movie is the closest, hopefully anyway, that I'll come to you know being on an LSD trip while being assaulted by evil people. <laughs> So, yeah, man, gear up. <laughs> Tighten the belt up when you're ready to watch Mandy. Yeah, there's just certain movies that you, you can't enjoy like you can other movies. You have to prepare for them and like you can enjoy them on one level. But, you know, it's also kind of a, a battle to get through. Yeah. It just it feels like that's what that's going to be. Well, here's my metaphor. It, it's it's cliche to say that a movie was a roller coaster ride. But there's a very big difference between riding a steel roller coaster and a wooden roller coaster. <laughs> and that was definitely a wooden roller coaster movie. Uh, yeah. So if you if you picking up what I'm laying down there, you'll have a you'll have a visceral sense of what it's like to watch that movie. So you got to let me know okay. when you end up watching that one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last piece I got for you. I won't keep you on that. Um, so this is the strangest idea I've heard in a while. Yeah. Uh, Jason Bloom is contemplating a shared universe of Bloomhouse horror characters. So this again, via Bloody Disgusting, who is quoting a Cinepop article, they interviewed Bloom and he said that, yeah, he's open to the idea and even wishes he laid the groundwork for it years ago. Here's the specific quote. We would like to do that. We're thinking about it. I probably should have. It would have been easier to do that had I thought of it earlier, but we're thinking of doing it with some of the characters anyway, and it's something that I'd really like to do. <laughs> Jody, did you ever watch the first Norm MacDonald show where he was doing yeah. basically a sports talk show? Yeah. He had the segment, Wait What? This is a Wait What kind of headline, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I've been spending ever since I, I read this, uh, I guess it was a couple of days ago, trying to figure out what on earth this would even be like. <laughs> Or why you would do this? It, it it kind of boggles my mind. Yeah, I mean, I generally like shared universes, and right. I think they're cool. To, I mean, like for instance, with Bloomhouse, when we all realized that Split was part of the Unbreakable universe. Yeah, right? that was awesome. And I was really, I think you were too, really on board with Universal trying to have a shared universe with their monsters. Yep. Retrofitting it onto the Bloomhouse world, it just seems like try hard that's destined to fail. Like Bloomhouse's whole thing is not low budget, but mid budget movies that you hope draw more than, than their budget. And he's been very successful and brought some really innovative tales and in a lot of ways reinvigorated the genre. But these things don't have, at least not to my eyes, they don't have common themes necessarily. And they don't, yeah. they don't work in like the same set of presuppositions in each movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there, there are different genres within say Marvel's cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. You know, there's comedies, there's more serious Shakespearean type stuff, but they kind of have a, the same core, you know, 
Whereas these movies, I, they're, they're so all over the place in tone and, and subject matter. And I, I can't imagine what this would be like. Yeah. So I spent some time trying to do that. And here, here's my pitch, okay? So Tyler and Becca from The Visit, since we're handling all things Derek hates in this episode. <laughs> um, Tyler and Becca, the kids from The Visit, they become the protege of David Dunn from uh, Glass. David Dunn's son, Joseph, and Anya Taylor-Joy's Casey. And they become basically, you know, Mystery Inc. And they're going to hunt down the time-manipulating villain behind Happy Death Day. And it's going to turn out to be the demon from Sinister. So there's my pitch to Bloomhouse. I was thinking, I want to see a version of Halloween because they they produce the new Halloween. That's right. That's right. Where the victim is Tree Mm. from Happy Death Day. And she keeps coming back. And somehow Jason realizes that that's going on. And so you've got this weird, he keeps trying to kill her. He does. And then she's back again. And somehow both of them are aware of this loop they're in. Jody. I can see that movie working. Jody, yeah. Yeah. We, okay. Man, so I just said I'm very forgiving with Halloween sequels. Mine wasn't <laughs> even traveling, Jason. I'm already there. Yeah. Okay. So yours is actually probably what we're going to end up getting. And I will <laughs> insist that this is a dated record of how they owe you for the idea. Well, I, I was thinking too, there, there is one other horror universe that I've seen do this kind of thing, uh-huh. other than Freddy versus Jason and all those kind of movies. Are we going Which to are- Japan? Yes. Yeah, okay, go right ahead. Take us there. Sadako or Sadak I don't know how to say the, either of these words. Sadako versus Kayoko. Yeah, so which for our American the, ears, that's the grudge versus the ring. Yeah, the girl from the grudge versus the creepy kid from the ring. And yeah, hey, why not? <laughs> so Jody, I, I just I'm I'm so sad that I went so many years not knowing that you had the same interest in horror that I do because there are now two people in my social circles who I know who have seen Kyoko versus Sadoko or whatever. You say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I really wish we could have done that together, man. Yeah. Uh, that is a tour yeah, de is, force. This is a movie that I pretty much assume nobody else I knew would ever watch. <laughs> Absolutely. I spent, <laughs> so I'd seen that. It, it, it's like what you said about Lords of Chaos. I heard it was happening and I was like, oh, I got to check that out. So I'm just scouring the internet looking for a chance to see it. Um, you know, as you were talking about with Lords of Chaos. Um, but I went this New Year's, just as New Year's was turning from 2018 to 2019, in that week before and after the New Year, my office schedule just completely emptied out because people were traveling. I wasn't teaching. I was just at the office doing a lot of like yearly planning and whatnot. And I got the bug for Japanese horror. And I probably watched like <laughs> six Japanese horror movies that week as I was pushing paperwork. Um, it's just good to know there's other people out there like me. It, it, for all the evil the internet has brought, it's just good to <laughs> good to find out there's yeah. others out there like you said. Yeah, absolutely. I, my, my time online now, outside of work, is spent mainly in various message boards and groups of people who like the same weird stuff that I like. And it, it's really nice, actually. It's, it's pretty pleasant. Well, and somehow it took the internet to help me find out a guy I went to high school with. And, and <laughs> you know, uh, I think your mom was my second grade teacher. Somehow yep. it, it took the internet to, to make me realize this. Um, did you watch, since I'm just completely off the trails here, did you watch Gojim Haunted Asylum? I don't think I've seen that one. I, I heard you say the other day you watched uh, Naori the Curse too, right? Yeah, I liked or, both of those movies. Yeah. The uh, the Haunted Asylum one I liked better. Okay. And it made me think, um, the first time I watched Grave Encounters. Okay. I had yeah. like low expectations and they were ex- 
succeeded, Haunted Asylum did the same thing for me. So okay, it, that again, will be on my list then. If you if you watch it, I'd love to hear your reaction. I don't want to overhype it, but I came away being like, oh okay, all right, that was better than expected. See, I, I love being able to have conversations where somebody can drop by Grave Encounters and oh hey yeah 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 I know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the this is the best timeline. Yeah. Um, well, Jody, that's all I've got for uh, the horror reporter. Do you, do you have anything you want to bring to the table? Yeah, um, nothing much going on right now outside of that. I'm excited to uh, catch up with Horror Noir, which just dropped on Shutter today. So I'm hoping to, to watch that tonight. Man, me too. Uh, in fact, I'm going to turn that on while I edit this episode. The, just in case some of our listeners don't know what that is, could you give us a you know quick synopsis? Yeah, uh, it's based on a book uh, by an Af- African-American academic about the role of uh, African-Americans in horror and uh, featuring all kinds of interviews with uh, folks like Tony Todd, uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, it's it's a is a really I'm really excited about it because I've seen some of these movies, but I actually missed out on a lot of them because you know I grew up in the South and things are very segregated. Sometimes sometimes you just don't come across these movies. Well, I mean, even you know we've talked about just on this episode, our movie theaters didn't get everything. Our movie, yeah, our rental places didn't get everything. So yeah, it's a chance to kind of broaden the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've watched Asian horror. I've watched uh, you know horror from uh, um, Spain and all these other countries, but I've missed out on some. Horror that's happened uh, with American filmmakers just because uh, the cultural differences maybe maybe I just didn't run across them, didn't have that chance. So I'm, I'm looking forward to adding some more movies to my list. Me too, brother. Me too. So um, we'll we'll do that and we'll chat it up in We Saw Some Scary or, or some other forum then. Um, before I let you go, Jody, so I'm bringing Christy in, my wife, to help me review It Follows, but as one of my favorite go-to people for perspective on horror movies, could you give me a few thoughts on It Follows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm with you that I think Derek is completely crazy about this movie. Um, I love it. Uh, this, this, when, the first time I saw this, this was one of those that I walked away with pretty much no expectations going in, but I walked away just completely blown away. Um, I, I haven't seen a movie that has made me scan the background of scenes more often than this movie has. Mm-hmm. Looking for point. something weird, somebody moving in a strange way. You know, you, I, I love that I couldn't trust anything that was happening through this whole movie. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, at the time it came out, it felt so fresh and unlike yeah. anything I'd seen before. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I didn't, uh, I didn't plan to ask my wife this question, so I ask you, scale of one to ten, what would you give? It follows. Oh man, uh, eight. Yeah, I, that's what I wrote down in my notes. I'm, I'm an eight. Yeah. Too. So, all right, man. Well, hey, thanks for your time this evening, Jody. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Glad I could uh, pitch in and help out while Derek is occupied right now. And um, look forward to hearing him back on here next time. Yeah, okay. Well, tell your family, too. Thanks for loaning you to us uh, this evening. And we will talk to you uh, on Facebook and other places, man. Have a good rest of your week. All right. Awesome. Talk to you later, man. Okay, that means it is now time to pull the curtain on It Follows from 2014. This week, Derek is caught up in some uh, family tragedy. He had a, a family member pass away and he had to attend to the funeral in the morning that goes along with that. He's also got to get back to Missouri to check in with Dolly Parton. And so I have my favorite guest host sitting in here again. That is my dear wife, Christy Wright. Christy, how are you tonight? Hey, babe. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for setting in. It's been a little while since you've uh, set in on a podcast. Do you remember the last one you did for Saw Something Scary? I want to say it was something by M. Night 
Shyamalan. That's a good. That's a good effort. Shyamalan. That's Shyamalan. right. That's right. In fact, it was. Do you remember what movie that uh, Shyamalan movie was? No idea. It was The Visit and the Crazy Grandparents. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking right now to see when we actually did that episode. That was from April 10th, 2018. So we're pretty close to a year since you've set in. Uh, any uh, any lingering memories from the visit? I, I'm trying to remember if I liked it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did. Well, Derek hates everything by M. Night Shyamalan. And so you can either hold to that tradition or break with it. And uh, that's that's the movie for me when Shyamalan got his groove back. Well, regardless, I'm glad to be here. Although I am the only one in our household who's allowed to watch scary movies other than you. And you're a trooper. You don't really care for scary movies the way I do. But you, we have watched, what do you think, 600% more scary movies than rom-coms in the course of our marriage? A thousand percent. Not to be, you know, stereotypical or anything. Not like your interests are only rom-coms. Uh, but you, anyway, my point is just that you've been very good to me in terms of indulging my interest in horror. I'm trying to meet you where, you, where you're at, babe. Well, thank you. That's, that's a good spouse right there. So do you know that we watched this movie for the first time together? I do know that. Do you remember how you... <laughs> it's because I wouldn't watch a scary movie with anyone else because I, <laughs> I don't like them. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good point. I should have seen that coming. I appreciate you mentioning that one. Um, do you remember how you felt about the movie the first time you saw it? I don't remember how I felt about it the first time. I remember how I feel about it now. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think I've watched it again uh, since I watched it with you back when it first came out. But I watched it prepping for this episode, thinking I was going to talk to Derek. And when things didn't work out with him, I was like, hey, will you watch this? And I sat and watched it with you. I was doing some stuff last night. Um, I mean, just to get started. Is this a good movie or a movie that you just expect you won't ever watch again the rest of your life? I probably won't ever watch again the rest of my life, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean I didn't think it was a good movie. Okay, so you think it's a good experience in the moment, but you're not going to go seek it out again. Yeah, I don't. I don't tend to seek out scary movies. This one had a, a lot of you know pretty long sex scenes, but I, I thought it was a you're good movie. Pretty long sex scenes aren't sex scenes aren't your jam. They're, they're not my jam. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, all right, well, let's just jump into this thing. Um, Visually, do you find this movie compelling? I mean, we agree there's a unique look to It Follows, right? Right. I, I'll say this. I appreciated that there were a lot of moments when the scene was just very still and slow and quiet, sort of in between, you know, the more intense parts. And so I, I appreciated the cinematography and the way the director was just pausing at times to help you sort of get in the moment. I, I, the first scene that struck me like that I don't know that it's the first one in the movie, but the first one that I thought, okay, I'll 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 follow you here, director, was when uh, the protagonist, I don't even remember her name. Kelly, maybe? I don't think it's Kelly. Doesn't sound right. Uh, the actress is Mika Moore. Let's see what her name is. Yeah, it's Kelly. Is it? Okay. Yeah. When she's in the swimming pool in the beginning of the movie, and the camera just sort of zooms in on the bug on her arm. and She's floating. It's just a slow... Yeah, it's just a very slow... I don't know that it's visually attractive, but I, I, I do like the way it was shot. It's probably not exactly what you're asking. Yeah, so your background educationally and professionally is built around stories. Right. English, and then you, know, you found a school in the classics tradition. Right. Do you think that's an effective storytelling method for a horror movie? To give you long periods of basically suburban, dull, I don't know, malaise? Yeah, I do because I think it's good for you to just sit and simmer 
and sort of remember that, you know, especially going back to that scene, you know, she's just, she's a young adult. She's swimming in her pool. If she's out there by herself, there wouldn't be a lot going on. Like I felt like I got to experience what she was experiencing. And so, so you it think seemed, it builds empathy. Yeah. And, and it, it felt more authentic. I also think some movies are great because they're super intense right out of the gate up until the very end. But I don't know that every movie needs to be that way. And so that's sort of nice occasionally when a specific story needs to be told, you know, super fast paced all the time. But I think in a horror movie, when you can just stop, it does make those scenes of intensity or horror. Uh, I don't know. They kind of get you more because you're not on edge. You're nice and relaxed. I mean, you like physically could just, you know, calm your shoulders down and yeah, you breathe a little more slowly and... Do you think, I mean, I guess this really is a question about whether or not you connected with these characters. Do you think those slow language scenes are in there to give you a chance to appreciate what's being threatened by this monster? Like you're identifying with these kids and maybe you're not, but I'm just saying like, if you answer yes to my question, you're identifying with the kids, you're, you're coming to like them, you want the best for them, um, and you realize there's a monster that's right now walking toward them to, to break them. I'll have to be honest. I don't want to seem insensitive, but I, I didn't particularly care for the protagonist, Kelly. I mean, I, I just don't think they, I don't know if they were trying, but I didn't feel like they were trying very hard to sort of woo my affection for her as an individual. You know, they put her in a college classroom at one point, but they don't really tell you like what her hopes and dreams are. And Oh, I think it was actually high school. Was we, it high school? We kicked around if it was college, but remember the, the teacher freaked out on her for leaving class. Right. And we're like, that's got to be high school. Right. Well, my point is, like, they don't really tell you, like, this is the path she's on. She's an honor student, and she's got this bright future. They don't, you know, she's close to her sister. She's got some good friends. I just didn't find her as a character compelling. I I, I thought that they did more character, character development with her friend Paul. Of course, I think he's the hero of the story, and so I cared about him. But she just seemed like, you know, the blonde girl that lives next door. Well, we'll have to go back to Paul because I think I've got some more stuff I want to pick your brain about on that. Um, I started this by asking if the visual aesthetic of the movie appealed to you. Right. And I do think it did to me. And you made a point while we were watching it that I think bears repeating. They did interesting stuff with the visuals in this movie. One of the one of the things is that they set the movie in no time period. You know, gun to your head, someone says you have to pick the movie, excuse me, the year this movie is set in. Your answer would be... With with one exception of the what appeared to be like an electronic reader that the the dark headed friend, had. but nobody but has other, ever owned that electronic uh, reader. I have to say that's sort of an oddity. Otherwise, I would say 1988, but it was very nebulous, and and I'm not really sure. Haven't thought through why. You know, maybe it's just the idea that the theme of the movie applies. Everywhere. Everywhere. And all, you know, I mean, not everywhere, but all times, right? I don't think it it actually does apply everywhere. Maybe not all times in history, but at least the last 40 years. Well, yeah. So if I had the, the you know, proverbial gun stuck to my head, the way I just proposed to you, I would really be hard-pressed to pick any time between the last 40 years if it weren't for that clamshell Kindle, right. which has never been seen before. Uh, and I think that's a deliberate choice by the creator. And, and one of the things I think it's supposed to do is help you locate yourself in the story. Now, I realize there's there's people who, who can't do this. They're young, but... For most of the people who are going to see that movie, that that suburban neighborhood is stuck in time. 
that movie theater in a small town, straight up stuck in amber. Right. The cars are old. The architecture of the house There's is- a phone on the wall with a cord. Yeah. At one point, she uses a corded phone to call over to her neighbor's house, who she's hooked up with, and she gets his personal voicemail. And I don't know if that means he's got his own line or is this supposed to be a cell phone, but you don't ever really see a cell phone either. Right. These kids are just kind of running around on suburban adventure, and it's not much different from the Goonies. Right. I I will say, and this may be too jaded, but the fact that the kids were hanging out with each other like in a house under one roof makes me think this was not to be super modern. Because I don't think kids do that a whole lot. I think they're just sitting on their beds, texting one another, hanging out that way. But I... Yeah, but I think in 2014, we weren't as hyper aware of those changes to youth culture. Maybe. Um, and, and this... I, again, I think this movie, I think it does give us those long periods and that genuine... Uh, excuse me. General nebulous never... Uh, or forever, right? Time setting I, to to help us be like, oh, this this is a story I could have lived out. Yeah, I think I think this could have been set any time after the sexual revolution, which I think I don't think I'm reading into that too much. I think that's probably the point that this could have happened any time in the last forty five fifty years. Yeah, the neighbor boy drives a uh, a Chevrolet station wagon that I think was built in the late seventies, maybe okay. early eighties. But again, these things, I don't even know if that car has badges on it. Everything is supposed to be nondescript right. and sort of eternal. And I did think, speaking about um, the generality of Kelly's character, I also thought whoever was doing makeup and costuming for for this movie did a really good job of making, uh, I called her Mika earlier. That might be how you pronounce Mika Moore. Um, that's Jay. I, t- I said the main character's name was Kelly. Kelly. It's actually Jay. Kelly okay. is her sister. Okay. But they make make a more. See, and we can't. We can't even. <laughs> yeah. She's not even notable enough to remember her name. And I th- again, I don't know if that's intentional. But you watched it three times and didn't remember, you know, the protagonist's name. I just watched it last night. Didn't recall her name. Yeah. I don't know that that means nothing. Sure. But maybe it's, I mean, to your point about Paul, maybe it's not a story about her. Right. But we remember, see, that's the thing. We remembered Paul's name. Yeah. I don't know. It's, and it's either rooted in us point. or in their intention. Sure. It's hard to parse yeah. out. But my point was going to be that they make Mika Moore and Lily Seppi, who plays her sister Kelly, very pretty young women, right? right? But they're like generic suburban pretty that you would have right. seen at any mall, yeah. you know, at any point in your high school years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do find this movie visually compelling in the sense that, like, I'm interested in what they're doing visually. And I think they're using the visuals very well to do what they want to do with the story. Well, I we, we talked when we were watching it, uh, the very first scene... And we have the young lady uh, who drives out to the beach and she sort of awaits her death. And she's sitting there and I commented, do you remember my comment? Was it about the heels? Yeah. She had heels on and I, I've worn heels. I noted that she was running around in the heels early on. Wasn't sure why, because it looks like she had pajamas on and maybe it was the first thing that she put on to run outside. If I'm running from a ghost, I'm probably not trying to put shoes on. But anyway, so I noticed that she's out on the beach and then they pan to the car and you see there's a considerable difference from her car. And I just think nobody, nobody puts on heels to run away from a ghost. Nobody keeps their heels on in the sand and then walks a distance like that. And so I was just like, why is she wearing heels? Sort of a scoffing. And then it, it flips to the scene where she's been killed and there's a really strong visual image. And I said, that's why she's wearing those red high heels because the heel really does create, you know, sort of creates this image with the way her body is mangled as well. It heightens the it, angles. It does, right. And the color and the contrast. Yeah. 
I just think if you saw that same scene with a a barefoot, it it just wouldn't be as dramatic. Yeah, and it, yeah, even her running down the sidewalk, you get the click 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 of right. the heels on the concrete. Um, yeah, so this is you know this is a movie that they're making good choices about their visual cues. Um, to kind of put a pin there, I think you and I both were really impressed with that opening scene and sequence, right? Like yeah, it's, it was good. It, it sets the hook pretty well for you. Right. You're immediately concerned why this girl's acting so strange. And not to give too much away already, but I see this movie as basically built on juxtapositions. Hmm. And at, at the end of her story that you've already alluded to, the last thing we see from her while she's alive is this very tender, um, I love you note to her dad. And she's leaving it on like voicemail or a voice right, recorder. Right, right. It's a very sweet moment. Very human. And then they do a smash cut to her twisted body. Right. And, I, you know, not to... I guess there's nothing more profound to say than that thing just really worked for me. I was... I was totally invested in the story of the movie at that point. Right. You know, again, going back to the idea that, that these girls are the, you know, teenage girl version of every man where any, any, any teenager, young person can see themselves reflected in these characters. The, the first girl in the movie, she's in a domestic setting. She's in, you know, she's in the suburbs. Her dad is involved at some point. She seems very normal. She, she drives off in a very normal sedan. Yeah. Just a, I mean, she's, she just seems like, that, that could have been any teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And then again, that connection, I, I don't know, I, I even felt like they may have done a better job with that character making you um, oh, kind of rooting for her mm-hmm. and like sad. That just because her dad was involved, you know, the other girl's mother isn't even present most of the time. Um, she so, leaves- wait, wait, wait. Why, 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 do you, why does it heighten your connection with the character to see their parents? Do you think it just kind of helps you see them as a real person? In yeah. The- but you, you, you're plugging them into a community. And I know the, I okay. know the protagonist has her friends. She's very much part of the community, yeah. But even, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a mother, but to, to see this as somebody's daughter, that this wasn't... Mm. Uh, th- th- these aren't promiscuous. Not that not that you know, but the, the writer and the director do not make a point to say that these are promiscuous young ladies who had it come into them. Right, so he's these, not shaming them. Yeah, they, these are normal girls. One, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're both daughters, but one... You sort of see in that relationship with her father um, that she even thinks to call him, I know, says something about that relationship and what kind of person she is. And so, I don't know, I think it probably adds to the horror of the movie that these are not, uh, I'm trying to not use super foul (laughs) words, but these are not, um, you know, these are not promiscuous young ladies who weren't being careful and, well, this is what you get. These are sort of normal kids, and you have to grant that normal kids are having sex. And so, I don't know. I like that. I like that it was a little nondescript. Yeah, most of the time we have with Jay, she's just trying to survive. Right. And it's hard to really do a lot of character development when she's in survival mode, particularly when her survival mode, I think we're supposed to see it is sort of dehumanizing her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's becoming more callous to the world around her. Right, right. Uh, we don't have that effect with the, whoever that unnamed young lady is at the beginning, right? Yeah, so you- because we don't see any interactions, which may have been there, but we don't see any, any interactions with other people if she's trying to pass it off to someone else or... We just don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so if we move on from that, one of the things that I alluded to earlier, you mentioned something that I had not anticipated. I really think you're right that this movie created our appetite for Stranger Things. Yeah. What? When did Stranger Things come out? 2016. So here's what I noticed at first. And you and I have talked about this before. And you did a, a recent uh, podcast about this movie. 
I'm not sure if it was for this podcast or it another was for one. Pop culture Cornell. But eighth grade, you know, you and uh, and, and your co-host there talked a lot about the music and the synthesizer. And you and I have talked about if you watch any movie with teenagers in it, there you know there are going to be some synthesizers involved. It's obviously just you know the the, the fad, mood of the moment. Yeah, the mood of the moment. And so I noticed that right off the bat, and I sort of scoffed, oh, haha, of course there's a synthesizer in this movie. And then I asked you when it was, when it came out, expecting probably the last two years, and you said 2014. I thought, well, that seems a little early for a movie that's sort of historically ambiguous. We don't know exactly when this takes place. There's this synthesizer that sort of lends itself to the idea that maybe it's older or it's either super hip or 30 years old and we just aren't sure. Yeah. Right. Can I interject right there? So there's a scene we just already talked about it where um, Jay is sitting in class and she sees the follower for the first time coming across the courtyard. Wait, did she have a computer? I don't remember seeing a computer. She, I thought she had a laptop. I don't. Maybe she did. I just didn't. I kind of want to rewatch it and just look for clues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that in that scene where the the followers coming across the courtyard, and it's an old woman in like a bed bed gown, like a uh, a, bed, a bed gown. What would you call that? <laughs> Nightgown. Nightgown. Excuse me. <laughs> you do wear them in bed, uh, unless you're her, false. and and then you wear them out. <laughs> I do not wear those in bed. <laughs> Nor do I. <laughs> Um, a bed gown. <laughs> a bed gown. I'm going to release that onto the market soon under women's fashion. So she's wearing a nightgown. She's coming across the courtyard. You know, Jay has this realization. Oh, this is what I was told about. She runs out of class. The girl, the the old woman, is in the hallway. And I don't know if you noticed this, but they hit heavy with the synthesizers. But the synthesizers are clearly playing a riff on the Halloween theme. Oh. And I just I didn't catch that. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a really great way to call back to an archetype that horror fans have. Right. That is set in the nostalgic past. Right. Yeah. You know? So, to, I'm just reinforcing your point about the synthesizers and how well they back up what the visuals are doing. So, going back to your um, to your other point, though, about, uh, you know, did this give us a taste for Stranger Things? Mm-hmm. That was, you know, I started putting all this together. And then when you said it was released in 2014, I thought, well, that seems a little too long ago. And had thought, oh, this is, you know, Stranger Things sort of branches out from something like this. But I don't think there are any synthesizers, uh, not that I recall. But Napoleon Dynamite was sort of one of those first movies that was ambiguous in terms of its era, right? Everybody talked a lot about when did this take place and Mm -hmm. look at that side ponytail. And so, uh, and that was 2004. And so it should probably get some credit. So it's like grandfather and then right. it follows his Parent, mom. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I got you. Well, the other thing that this has in connection with Stranger Things is that this is a Bildungsroman where the characters are coming to adulthood, right? It's a, it's a journey from childhood into adulthood. And uh, man. Uh, I don't know. This is a coming of age story for sure. I don't, I don't know. I mean, now. We don't know. You asked this question when we watched it, whether her encounter with the her date, you know, early on in the movie, her sexual encounter, whether that was her first time or not. And I don't think we I don't think we know that. If we did know that she was losing her virginity, then I would probably agree with you more. But I don't really see a shift from childhood to adulthood. I oh, just see, I see so much of that. In I this just movie. see. Yeah, I don't see that. Okay, well then let's talk about my point that this is built on juxtapositions. Okay. Okay. So you're right, and it doesn't ultimately matter because she's if this not is growing. her first time she or grow up. Or I, I I don't think that's true. So let's 
Okay. Let's walk through this a little bit. I think, um, I think she digresses, actually. I don't know. I don't... So, again, it doesn't ultimately matter if that's her first sexual encounter or if it's, you know, whatever number. But they do take pains to have her laying across... Uh, the back seat, right? In a sweet kind of moment of reflection, talking about what she thought it would be like to date when she was a little girl. Right. And she's playing with the flowers and talking about, you know, just naive and childish, but sweet memories of okay. what it would be like to date. Yeah. So she's saying, oh, I've arrived at this point that I used to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- and then again, it's in juxtaposition, right? So you've had this sexual encounter that is supposed to be a pinnacle of intimacy. She is in this sweet moment of reflection. That's when he reaches around and ethers her, right? And it's supposed to jar you in the hard shock, right? I think another time that they use these juxtapositions to set you up and to communicate this is a, a coming of age story is when um, when when they're waiting for the follower to attack her at home for the first time. Okay. So she goes to some generic workspace where Paul and her sister are at, and they're in like a stock room, and she's she's walking them through saying, yeah, uh, it, it tried to attack me today. And Paul says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll sleep thought, over. Okay. You remember that scene? And they both really quickly comedically say, no. Right. But eventually he does. Right. And so he's crashing on the couch. She can't um she can't sleep. She goes in there and finds out that he's being faithful to his promise. Right. To stay up and guard. And what do they talk about? Yeah. They talk about There's a lot of talk about childhood, but you don't see that in the movie. You don't see a character who is needing to mature and needing to grow and then that actually happens. That's what you have to have in a building's Roman. And I don't um, think you see that. I think you see I think you see the characters talking about their childhood, but you don't see them as childish. Oh, I think you see them as super childish. Who are the people who sit around and talk about their first kiss and the first time they did something stupid as kids? We don't have those conversations as adults. It's people who are closer to that, who are self-consciously realizing they're entering into so how do, another so, phase. So how do you how do you see that she has entered into adulthood? Well, let me keep going because there's still a lot more that I'd like to put in front of you. Another time that I see um, this juxtaposition is right when she is attacked at home, which we would hope being attacked in your home is not something that any child has to experience. But listen, she specifically attacked in her home as a consequence of a choice she made to engage in adult behavior. Okay. So she's attacked at home. What's her escape vehicle? She climbs out the window. Climbs out of a window. Oh, she hops on a bike. She hops on a bike. And where does she go? Oh, yeah. Because he said she looks like a little girl. She goes to the park. She goes to a playground and sits on the swings. Um, When... When we go to the hideout of the guy who gave her the follower, the walls are littered with comic books. There's porno magazines on the ground, hearkening back to that earlier scene. Um, I, I think that we're clearly supposed to see this movie as coming within the period of transition from more childish things to more adult things. And I actually feel like the movie, intentionally or not, says that handling that transition wrongly can really bring some dark consequences. Uh, specifically, there are two quote-unquote adult items in this movie that these kids are having a hard time figuring out how to how to use appropriately. So one, I, I say adult items, just sexuality, huh. choosing sexual partners, things like that. The other one is that gun. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. You made a statement a few minutes ago. You said something about 
making an adult choice badly or handling adult things poorly or something. There is no single person in Hollywood, California, who thinks that having premarital sex with a guy that you're dating is handling an adult decision poorly. Like nobody thinks that this wasn't made by a bunch of nuns who are like, tisk tisk, I'm going to slap your hands with a ruler because you had sex before you were married. She doesn't do anything in, in, in a secular humanist culture. She doesn't do anything that is out of the bounds of, uh, out of what's ordinary. In fact, she is extremely painfully ordinary. She's been dating a guy, you know, even her sister says she liked him. So they've been dating at least a little bit and then they have sex. That's like the most normal thing. I, I don't think that you can make a case that the writer or the director are trying to show you that she handles that that was a bad decision at all. I think that was a normal decision. And she just sort of gets, pardon the pun, she kind of gets screwed because she just happened to get this supernatural entity along with the deal. But I, th- I think that what they're trying to show you is here's a normal girl in a normal neighborhood with normal friends and family. And she's she does this really normal thing. And oops, it just sucked that time. Well, I think that... And I mentioned this just a minute ago. I, I, it can be intentional or inadvertent. And I do think there is a parallel to the way they use that gun. They they grab the gun to defend themselves with, right? Right. We're all kind of horrified by the idea of children with guns, right? Uh, they're not children. These and, are not 12-year-olds. Yeah, they're not adults either. And, she, you know, actually, I, I, I think I am going to push that she's a college student because she says when Paul is sitting with her and he's like, why didn't you do it with me? I like you. And he's sort of a little hurt that she had sex with a neighbor guy. She says it wasn't a big deal. We had sex back in high school. And so I, I, I really think that what you're talking about is a 19 or 20 year old. I mean, these are not children. Even yeah. if she were 16 or 17, that's not a, that's not children. Anyone, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, buy that these are kids. I, I mean, he's older than her and he's explicitly named as being 20. So maybe it is just a year. Um, but nonetheless, that they drive, it's painstaking the way they want you to think of these, uh, characters as children. They don't have, they don't have agency. I mean, they're living at their parents' house. They hang out at their parents' house. Only one person they know is, uh, is driving. And he's, he's a guy who wasn't even part of their social set. Again, when, when they are, when they're marshalling resources to try to protect themselves against this, it's all childish conceptions. So again, to the gun, I think the gun works as a parallel to the choices about their sexuality. Because again, we're, we're, we're terrified to think of children with guns. These kids, I'm going to insist on that term for my side of the conversation you, anyway. You, you sound like, you sound like, you sound, <laughs> you sound like a 37 year old man, like calling these guys kids. They're, I think the text of the movie says clearly that these are, nah. these are children who are transitioning into adulthood. But with the gun, Twice, someone uses that weapon firing at the monster when there is someone clearly... Oh, totally irresponsible. ...in the line of fire. Right. And eventually, they end up shooting one of the friends. Right. And so, again, intentionally or inadvertently, I think this movie is asking us to think about the consequences of choices that may be being made by people who don't have the resources they need to make them well. Uh, when When we first talked about watching this movie again, Derek called it uh, uh, something like Revenge of the ST Demon. Right. And that that is what the movie's built on. There's a sexually transmitted right. destroyer. Right. And so I, while I would tell you, I mean, I guess now is as good a time as any. I think the ultimate theme of this movie is death is inevitable. 
And guns are bad. Well, death is always stalking you. You can't get away from it. Right. But specifically, this movie ties that reality to hooking up. And maybe he... But do you think they're hooking up if they're dating? I mean, I'm not, you know, super in the know when it comes to hookup culture, but my understanding as a woman who's been married 17, is it 17? 17 years, is that a hookup is more like, I met you tonight, let's go back and shag. Not, we've been on five or six dates and we're going to have sex like everyone else does. Well, they've not been on five or six dates. Well, they've been on... They've been on two. Some. How do you know it's two? She says that it's their second date at one point. And then when she's being interrogated after the encounter, she doesn't know where he lives. She's never met his family. They have to go track... They have to go track down... his like high school yearbook to find him. So while I don't think this is, I am at the club and I'm interested in my night ending in a particular way. This is also not in the context of like a long-term relationship. That's fair. That's fair. And there's no way to argue afterwards. Right. Cause she's just having sex with whomever. Well, and when they finally track the guy down, Jeff, do you remember what he says about how the follower got attached to him? No. It was some girl I oh, met at a club. Right, 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 right. I don't even know her name. Right. Oh, could we talk? Is this a time where we could talk about the, the the stupidity of just having sex with random people and then not explaining to them the situation because you're just sentencing them to death and then inevitably it will be following you again? Can we come back to it? Because I want to make a, a broader point about that because I think sure. it's what it does to Jay's character. Okay. So again, I'm just going to, I'm going to camp out. I've watched this thing, I guess, four times now. And it's unavoidable that they are, they're talking about in this movie, they're talking about, again, the inevitability of death, but they're specifically tying it to our sexual choices. Sure. That I'm, that I'm with. I don't think it's a Bildung's Roman. Well, I don't think it's a coming of age story. She is an older character by the time this movie is wrapped up than she is when the movie starts. I don't know if she's older. She is more. Sort of used up and and bitter and I don't know if bitter is the right word. She like she's she, more like she ends up just sweeter. hardened. Now she ends up sweeter at the end of the movie, uh, making different choices. But along the way, she does go through a period of hardening, which yeah. is why I said let's talk about that a bit. This is such a sad story to watch, Jay. Because like you said, Jay is just a normal girl. Right. And there's a cute guy that she likes. And she's she's been with him long enough. She thinks this is the time to move the relationship on. Right. Second date, apparently. Second or third date or whatever. Fourth or um, fifth. Sixth. I, again, he's not... The movie's clearly not trying to shame them for these choices. Right. And we, you know, we should note that horror movies have a long tradition of saying it's the girl who abstains from sex who survives. Right. The girl who has sex dies. So this movie is very much aware yeah, of that. Yeah, it's playing into that. Yeah. So y- you you meet her as what I'm going to say is a if not ch- a child then or or a more child at childlike adolescent, someone who's a bit naive and a bit fresh in the ways of the world, right? Okay. But then as we watch her go along, her desire to survive keeps putting her in meaningless sexual encounters, and you can see the way that it is changing who she is. Right. Um, I think they, they show this a couple times in like just having her maintain a flat effect while right. the boy does what he does to her. Yeah. And, in the hospital. Yeah. In the hospital. Then when what you just mentioned about her, they turn her into a sexual predator. Right. When she jumps out in the water to the boat. she Yeah. She just swims out yeah. to a group of guys and the clear information is she, she slept with one or more. Right. But the follower is back on her 
trail within like a 24-hour period. Right. So it does seem like they, they she gave no warning. Maybe yeah. maybe they didn't heed her warning, but she just, to buy herself some time, is using her sexuality to survive, even if it means destroying these other people. And then by the time you get to her, um, her having sex with Paul... There's, I mean, they clearly have a scene in there. Do you feel different? No. Right. And at that point, she has just become numb. And again, she's she's operated as a sexual predator. I think her being with Paul is sort of rehabilitating her. But man, she goes to a really dark place that I'm surprised they took their ostensible protagonist to. Yeah. Not warming to the idea of her becoming more adult. Uh, I, I, I'll budge like 10% your direction. Yeah. I, but only because I like you. <laughs> That's charitable. I'm about to say it's charitable. I, I've watched it multiple times. I don't see any way to disconnect it from that idea that even just multiple sexual partners in rapid fire succession isn't particularly good to the human soul. Yeah. See, the thing is, I, I don't see I don't see a lot of growth. What I do see is they're being very intentional to place these kids in, and again, I think it plays into that timelessness thing, right? Are they are they fourteen year olds riding on bikes, or are they college kids? I also think I I, I thought a lot like this is this is what teenagers were doing in the seventies, which I, I have absolutely no reason to actually think that, except I just assume that people are a little more naive, which is probably not true because they're all doing drugs still, probably. But I. I I felt like they did. A, they really wanted to communicate that that there is a. I don't know if childishness is is quite right, but a naivety, and that there was a lack of maturity, even if it wasn't necessarily like childishness. And I just don't see that. I mean, we're at least twenty years into to Hollywood casting actual teenagers for teenage roles, right? And so if they wanted, you know, very young. Again, I'm thinking 14, 15, where some people are cringing about these kids having sex at that age. And, you know, maybe it's a little young for them to get started and be sexually active. They, they easily could have done that, and they just no, didn't. No, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think they cast young teenagers for this kind of role when, when sexuality is so much a part of it. Even, you know, even you mentioned eighth grade, right? Right. That young lady, uh, her sexual explorations are very comical. Right. You know, uh, she's considerably older than her saying, character. I, I'm saying they could I, have I don't made have much her... traction. The way you feel about my point about them being children, <laughs> I feel about your idea that they could have cast 14-year-olds to play these parts. No, or 15 they, they could have. No, they casted probably 20-something-year-olds. 20 20 no, they could have cast... Mika Moore was like 19 when she made this movie. They could have cast 16-year-olds to make... I'm just saying, no. they know how to make teenagers look, look very young. No. And they I, didn't do that. I'm out. I, I don't... I think there are all kinds of ethical issues with what you're proposing there, and I can't think of an example where it's been executed that way, where there's been a highly sexualized plot that's carried out with even 16 year olds. So I'm going to break with you there. I'll have to I'll have to see proof for that one. Um, Well, let's talk about Paul. So you see him as the hero of the story. I do. Yeah. You think he's Samwise? Uh, well, nobody's Samwise, but Samwise. I think that Paul is faithful, and I think that he, you know, you said just while we were rewatching last night that he's been pushed into the friend zone. He to me is the epitome of the friend zone. He's totally friend zoned, and yet he is just faithful and willing to do the right thing. And I don't get. I mean, there's with so the neighbor guy. I don't know what it was. I don't know Johnny Deppish. Yeah, I don't know what was motivating him. 
And without reading too much into it, there was this great juxtaposition just in their facial expressions as they did the deed. He was very much enjoying it. Now, he may have he may have done it just to be a good friend and a good neighbor. But you also get the sense that like he's like, well, if I have to, might as well just enjoy this. Or I'll take the risk. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's unconvinced at that point. I was going to say, yeah, he's probably like, uh, this girl thinks that she has to have sex with someone. Uh, Totally, I will do that. And and for Paul, you just don't get any hint for him that he's like, oh, this is going to be a win-win. And maybe maybe this will actually be the thing that, you know, makes her like me. You just see him saying, I, I'm going to do this to take this curse away from you. So it's another version of him saying, I'll stay self-sacrificing, and I'll guard. Yeah. Or like when she's in the hospital after she has the car wreck, he's out in the foyer. Right. Yeah. He's just there. He's present. He's faithful. He does... You know, what he thinks he needs to do to protect her. Um, I just like old Paul. Well, so you said this ends sort of with her more numb and... No, I don't think it ends that way. I think that that's if you see any change in her, you don't see... I don't see maturity. What I see is hardness. And I, I do agree with you that at the end when they're walking and they're holding hands, that maybe she gets a little sweeter. I just don't think they're really, I don't think, I think if they wanted to really make that point, they could have, and maybe they were, and maybe they weren't. I don't think it was super clear. I Certainly, I don't see that she's come up a very long way. I mean, if that's character growth since the beginning of the movie, what does she budge? I don't know if it's character a growth. A tiny amount? You know, character growth, I guess would require some kind of metric to evaluate her by. But I can't help but read this movie as starting with her being excited to be with a guy she knows nothing about. Right. And it going terribly wrong. Right. Right. With her ending up walking down the street holding the hand. Yeah, of her childhood friend. Of her first kiss. Right. And the boy who's been there for her all along. Yeah. So I do think there's quite a bit of character development with her. Okay, that's fair. That she she goes from a more naive creature who is pushed to some really dark places. Again, I think she Mm -hmm. clearly becomes a sexual predator at one point. One we're supposed to sympathize with, but nonetheless, a, a predator. I think she does become jaded and hardened by her circumstances and what it requires for survival. But by the time we get to that last scene of the movie, she's still in danger. You know, the follower is still on her tail. Yeah. But she's walking down the road with her first kiss, holding his hand. And I think she's come back around to uh, appreciating more what she has in her community. Right. And Yeah, which is a great story. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Anything else you got to say on like the big meta issues of this movie? Hmm. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I mean, the the question that pays the bills around here is, did we see something scary? And so I want to talk about what's supposed to make this a horror movie. Okay. Um, the question I would ask Derek is, did you see something scary? And so, Christy, did you see something scary? Yeah. I thought the, the scary scenes where it is following her or sort of, there weren't a whole lot of like jump out at you scenes. I think that's the technical term for it. Jump scares. Jump scares. I, uh, it's, were, uh, it's, a, it's a bed coat. A bed A bed coat. <laughs> the name of my new band bed coat <laughs> that's an awesome grandma's bed coat <laughs> it's the name of a new std <laughs> bed coat. gosh got a bad case of the bed coat uh, all right we went we went oh way gosh, off the grandma's rails here bed coat. What, did, what did you call them not jump scares jump out at you jump out at <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they were they were just the right amount, okay. right? So it wasn't too jumpy. Um, I also thought like some of the creepiest scenes when the man is uh, 
it is following her, but it's a man and he's naked and he's on top of her roof. I don't know why it's creepy that he's on her roof, but that was a super creepy scene where he's just standing there. And so I, I thought it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a scary movie too. And it does two different kinds of scares for me. You know, I, I don't know that I care for Jay more than you're describing yourself caring for Jay, but man, I hurt for her. You know, when when you first, I mean, I'm a dad. You talked about, you know, being a mom probably helps you connect with that unnamed girl at the beginning more. Right. I'm a dad. And so and we we have daughters. When that guy brings Jay back to her house, sets Aww, her out, out on the street yeah. in her underwear, and she goes stumbling back, back to the house. I, I mean, I didn't break into tears, but my heart was just torn up. Right. And when she's sitting there. I mean, they just do such a good job as storytellers to, like, put you in the awfulness of this. Right. Because the first question you hear the officer ask is, oh, it was consensual. Right, right. And then when, before that even, when she wakes up and she's strapped to a chair and she went from, like, one of the sweet moments of reflection we talked about. And she's in this cold, dark place with this crazy person and he's, like, whipping her around in this chair and I mean, I felt disoriented. And she sees a ghost for the first time there, too. She sees this naked woman coming, and he's telling her all this crazy stuff. And right. like, at one point, he just leaves her there to stare at that approaching follower. Right. She said, are you leaving me here? Yeah. And he doesn't. But I just, it was its own kind of horror. Right. You know? So, okay. Can we go back, can we go back then to the, like, the question of how do you handle those situations? Because what was that guy's name? Jeff. Jeff. The way he handles her, he sets her up to live. He gives her the knowledge and the resources that she needs to actually uh, stay alive. But she does not do that, at least for the guys in the boat, right? She just sort of, you know, I'm going to pass this thing off to you. But not that we know of. Not that we know of. But there's no indication that, um, or the girl who gave it to Jeff, you know, in the nightclub. Well, I don't know. I guess she must have told him because he seemed to know the deal. My assumption is if you don't know what's going on, you will be killed within days. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Because then it works its way back down the line. Well, I just mean if you catch it and you're not looking out constantly for someone, then some old ladies, some weird old lady is just going to walk up to you and And grab your hair like they did. Grab your hair, kill you. Uh, You know, was that the scene where she was approached from behind? Mm -hmm. So, like, I just assume that if someone hasn't let you in on it, you're not going to be savvy enough and go, you're not going to decide, oh, I must have a supernatural entity. I must have gotten this from having sex because there is a several day delay, I think, at one point for one of the characters. The neighbor boy. Right. That he had gone several days without seeing, you know, an apparition. And so I I don't know. I kind of think more highly of Jeff. He's even willing to like sit down and talk to them later on when they all show up at his house and help out. And I know he still has skin in the game. Well, I mean we are comparing scumbags, right? Right. Like we're not going to try to rehabilitate Jeff as a moral, morally upright character. But again, I, I think you're right in that when we get to her swimming out to the boat, now she's been pushed into a point of desperation. Right. But she goes out there and kills those guys. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I mean when I say she's a sexual predator. She's just preying upon them for her survival, a, a moment's peace, right. you know, whatever gratification comes there. And it's really black for Jay at that point. Yeah. I do think they they have to work to bring her back 
from that point of moral blackness. Right. Otherwise, you'd be looking at her being like, you're the worst character she's in this not, movie. She's not redeemed. She can't do anything to redeem that decision. She can't She can't go fix what she has done. And she doesn't offer herself and sacrifice to sort of redeem herself later on. Yeah, I, there's no mechanism for that. I think, again, to use Derek's term about the ST demon, which, by the way, I asked you if you wanted to talk about more meta issues here. Uh, I think you did want to. <laughs> She is living with her condition at the end there. She's got a game plan. She's got management. There's community around her. She's making much better choices than letting the neighbor boy take the football for a while. See, I, letting the guys on the boat inadvertently take it. She's, I don't, she's healthier at the end of this movie. I don't know that that's a choice outside of Paul. I think Paul is the one who's making the better choice. And I think she's a recipient of that. I think she's a recipient of, of grace. But he makes a choice to take that. Because if he weren't offering... Well, we wouldn't see this person who had grown, who was making better choices. She would, we have no reason to think that she wouldn't still be trying to give it to, to anybody. No, but that doesn't mean his influence on her hasn't authentically altered her for the better. Right. But, right. I mean, but we don't know that. I think we do. All I we think... know is that she was willing to let him take it from her. No, I think the fact that, again, I think the fact that she's now in... <laughs> I mean, not to stretch it too far, but she's in more of a committed relationship with this guy she's known forever. He's very much aware of what the circumstances are, so he's partnering with her. There's there's other things around. I think we I think we have to say that by the end of the movie, she's in a much better place. I'm not I, again. Yeah, she's, she's she's not been. She hasn't become her own version of a moral exemplar. But she's much closer to the girl we met floating in the pool, who's just a, a suburbanite teen. Who but hasn't what, done any wrong to anybody else. So what and, happens when Paul dies? Yeah, she's going to have to deal with it. I have, no, I'm just saying, based on what I've seen in the movie, I think she goes right back to being a sexual predator. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the fact that she's with Paul means that she has been influenced positively in a way that makes her connect with him. All right. So the moral of the story is it's better to be with the dorky neighbor guy that you grew up with than the cool guy that you just met. Isn't the this the inversion of every 80s teen story, right? That like the girl who had glasses and always wore her hair up. Right. Ends up being the catch. Right. And the blonde bombshell that you've been chasing around ends up being uh, your destroyer yeah. or whatever. Uh, what's that guy's name? John Hughes. This is like yeah. the anti-John Hughes movie. <laughs> That's why it's set back. Back then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm willing to consider that that may be something the creator wanted to do. He's clearly right. turning the idea of the girl who stays chased as the final survivor on right. his head with this. He may be taking the breakfast club to task too. But we were talking about scary stuff. Yeah, and it, it, it is scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of things that I just found particularly uh, effective is when she's attacked in her home and the follower is this woman who's like peeing on herself as she's right. approaching. She runs away, locks herself in the bedroom. Her friends come up. We all know the follower is going to be there shortly. Right. But they open the door on Yara, the the other girlfriend, the brunette who has the Oh, right. The glasses. Yeah. Oh, and then it's a tall man. The tall man with black yeah. eyes I thought was pretty frightening. That was scary. Uh, but again, I think they did a really good job making ordinary scenes really, really scary. Mm -hmm. um, so those things are totally scary, but definitely in a more traditional way because they're like scary monster-ish. Some, some of the, I don't know what to call them. Uh, I call them followers. Followers. Yeah. Some of them are are much more monster-like, right? And so the naked guy in this, on the roof seemed really creepy to me, even though he just looked like a normal man on the roof. A normal naked a normal man naked standing on a roof. Man, we live in an interesting place, folks. <laughs> it's, it's not quite that interesting. That's our normal. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, another, and again, at first I wasn't sure if that was a follower, but when the rock goes through her window and then it pans outside of the house, I think this is like a couple scenes after, um, but you see what looked like a child or maybe a, a young teenager crouched outside her window. That was a follower, right? No, I don't think so. Um, I think you're supposed to wonder that though. There is a, just a brief interaction when she's floating in the pool at the very beginning of the movie. Two little towel-headed boys peek up over the hedge to watch the hot neighbor girl okay. go swimming. And she says, I see you. And they duck back down. Okay. And I think that was one of the neighbor boys trying to be pervish and try to catch her. Because, well, yeah, it, I, it has to be. Because when the, when the follower is that close... We see that with the, the neighbor boy's follower. It picks up a rock and breaks the window and hops in. It doesn't like wait for an opportune time. It doesn't matter if it, she's in the middle of class or sh- whatever. We don't know if that's normative. All we know is that one yeah, thing. Nah. Okay. That's nevertheless, a nevertheless. That's 100% neighbor a neighbor boy. boy. Neighbor boy crouched outside her window. Super creepy. Yeah. Right. And that's my point is that I think they took really ordinary. And that one is like. Suburban very, horror. Very, very ordinary. It's very creepy if somebody has broken your window or not. But if, if they're crouching outside your window on a roof, apparently I'm, I'm learning about myself that I have a thing with roofs. <laughs> <laughs> Did a roof hurt you? <laughs> to think back on my childhood, yeah. why that is the case. Um, but I thought that was just really, really creepy. And so there was a good mix of jump scares and, um, you know, like a slow burn where the old woman is walking and walking and walking. And then scary monsterish figures and then really ordinary figures. Like several times it's somebody that look, you know just looks like somebody she knows. Yeah. So listener on that point, when they're on the beach and Jay is attacked... When they're running back to the shed, uh, we get a look at that creature. And I think that's supposed to be Yara. I think it's the same actress who plays right, Yara. Right. Well, she has glasses on even. Yeah. And the same hair. I just want somebody to confirm that for me. I think you and I are convinced it is, but I just need somebody to be like IMDB says or whatever. So listener, if you're you're able to confirm this, do me a favor and contact us. I would like to I'd like to know that. The- at, at one point it was somebody's dad because they showed whenever it I don't know, when one of the followers looked like a dad. And then not long after that, it showed a family picture. And I don't know whose dad it was. It wasn't Jay's. And by the way, what is she, a man in black? What kind of name is Jay? Jay. Anyway, it shows a family picture. Oh, you're saying Agent Jay. It took me for a minute to figure out what what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, It shows a family picture. And the dad and the family picture is the follower. It, yeah, was ha- or the most recent follower. Well, neighbor boy's attacked by his mom. You know, the follower looks right, like his mom. Right. And Jeff tells her in that like parking garage, right. it could be someone you know. Yeah. Well, my point is that it's scary even when it's sometimes like the the there was a follower who reached in in the boathouse. Um, well, there's a little boy who in, comes yeah, in the and little hisses. Boy, super scary, right? Yeah. But more of a monster creature. And then sometimes it's, it just looks like someone she knows. And I think those times are also really scary. So yeah. I appreciate the variety. I think they did a good job. And a couple of times they make you live in the paranoia of these characters because they have somebody walking right. on the playground when she sees neighbor boy coming, right. Johnny Deppish. She seem, says, do y'all see him? But those seem more comical. Oh, I didn't think. And then when, when they're at Jeff's house in his backyard and there's like the co-ed cruising across right. the soccer field. He panics. Y'all see her? Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think they do a good job setting the scares on this. I'm definitely going to say it's a scary movie. And if you hadn't seen it, listen, I don't know why you've listened this far, but man, you need to uh, if, if you're looking for a scary movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess just to wrap all this up, I first started reading academic studies 
about the consequences of hookup culture in 2013. I went back and tracked it up, tracked it down rather. There was a uh, a piece. <laughs> Sorry, you tracked it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> tracked it up. I, I went through the snow. And I left tracks. I think that's what you say when you get a super cool tracksuit. You're like, <laughs> I'm tracking it up. Sorry. That's a lame I, joke, and I'm is, laughing at it, and I blame you. It is so lame. Tracked it up. Um, I tracked it down to see when I first read it and, and how it might have influenced me watching this movie. Um, it's from the James G. Martin Center, and it's called the, the Cruelty of the Hookup Culture. And I was reading it as an academic study because we work with not only teenagers, but college kids and just trying to stay abreast. But then like Rolling Stone was releasing articles about the fallout, the fallout uh, from hookup culture. And I, I want to say, I've said it a hundred times already, but I want to say inadvertently or intentionally, this guy is reacting to that moment in the culture where we realized there was a new sexual you know, environment among teenagers, early adults. Right. And then we still had some questions about what the ramifications of these things were going to be. I don't know. Again, I just think you think it wasn't until like the 2000s that people were having sex on a, you know, on a second or third date. I said that in 2013, I started reading academic studies about the fallout of hookup culture. No, of course, casual sex has been around basically since mankind was around. But I'm saying that at that moment in the, you know, 2010s, we were starting to look at this issue both academically and it was making its way into pop culture awareness. You had the University of Virginia um, falsification of the rape scandal. You'd already had the Duke lacrosse thing. We were taking a longer, harder look at old adolescents and young adults and their changing sexual dynamics. So I could be wrong about this, but I think that the TV show Friends was one of the first places where you see hookup culture become mainstream. And I think that show started in 94, mid 90s, early 90s. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying that this is the first time this stuff ever happened. So I'm thinking from, you know, mid 90s, what is this 20 years later? That sounds reasonable to say, okay, maybe this isn't new, but at least we're accepting this. It's not closeted anyway, anymore. We're accepting this as the new norm to say 20 years later, we have somebody, co- you know, making a commentary. I think that's fair. And there's data starting to emerge right. and whatnot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not, yeah. That's to say, I, I don't think you could say, here's a new thing. We're, we're just starting to research. It was. It's not new that I know of. I, it just seems like maybe it was new that it was so socially acceptable, right? Because Again, if I if if you go to a show like Friends, you know they have conversations like, "What you've been on three days, so you're not having sex yet? What's wrong with you?" And that stuff seemed not racy, but but more normal. And so maybe that's it. They're just looking at is the normalization of well, and hookup culture had progressed even further than that. Right. Where you know we hadn't seen Tinder show up yet, right? But again, where you hear a a young adult say, "I didn't even know the girl's name from the club." Yeah, you're not stunned by that, but you've at least. At that point, you've had enough people doing that for long enough that we can get some sociological data on this right. and some testimonials. So it, it may be what I was reading at the time, and I kind of am suspicious that it, it was in the you know the intellectual ecosystem at the time, and it may have come out in this movie. Anything else to say on this one, Chris? Uh, I don't think so. It's okay. a good it's a good movie. When you asked me if I wanted to see it again, I was like, oh, I don't think so. That's the one where you have sex and you catch a demon. But watching it again, I realized, okay, this is a good movie and it's well told and it's well shot. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm with you. And I enjoyed recording this, even though you're wrong about how these characters aren't children when we first meet them. Is it bed gown? <laughs> Track up. <laughs> Jump out at you. <laughs> 
<laughs> We've invented a new vocabulary on this episode. We have. We're, we're trendsetters. Yeah, we are. All right. Well, thank you for joining me on this one. You're welcome. And before we go, since we are on the road to Jordan Peele's Us, I have to do some speculating about how It Follows relates to the story of Us. And I think this one is pretty obvious. I'm suspicious that one of the elements of the story of Jordan Peele's Us is going to center on the way that past decisions, even decisions that maybe you didn't have the best information to work with when you made them, uh, those past decisions can continue to haunt you and be a threat to you throughout the course of the rest of your life, sometimes striking when you least expect it. So that's how I am going to go on record suspecting uh, how It Follows connects to Jordan Peele's Us. would love to hear your theory, listener, and any other feedback you have about the episode. Feel free to reach out to us through email, sawsomethingscary at gmail.com. We are on most social media platforms at Scary Podcast. We love talking to people in our Facebook group. We saw something scary, and we think that's the best reason to be on Facebook. So if you are a user of that website and are looking for excuses to remain a Facebook user, feel free to check us out before you make your final decision because I think you'll meet some great people in there. I think that because I've met them there as well. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Saw Something Scary. Let me remind you, if you are willing, it would be a big favor to us for you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate that. If you've been with us for a while and enjoy the content you're getting, maybe consider checking us out on patreon.com forward slash scary podcast. If you sign up to support us, you will have our undying gratitude, but you will also get some perks that I hope you'll find well worth your money, including an extra episode every month that is available for those of you who support at $3 per month or more. And we'll be getting February's up very soon. So uh, you'll want to get in in time to, to listen to that extra episode. Otherwise, if you're on Twitter, catch us at Scary Podcast there. However you feel like reaching out, uh, that's exactly how we feel like hearing from you. So please get in touch any way that, that you feel like doing so. For Derek Zoo, I am Jeff Wright, and I will remind you, in light of the movie that we reviewed this week, to avoid blondes who swim out to your boat, old women in bed coats, and directors with jump-out etches. Bye-bye, man.